welcome to the 178th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me, as always, is Roger Entner. How you doing, Roger? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. So this week, Roger, I thought we'd talk about the Verizon sell side analyst event that we both attended late last week. We heard from the leadership team at Verizon, so Hans Vesberg, Sam Path, Kyle Mullady, Joe Russo, all took time to speak with the analyst community about where Verizon is and where Verizon's going. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I thought it was a wasted opportunity. The analyst event that they did before this, like what, a year, two years ago? Two years ago. Two years ago was chock full with data. It was full with insights and direction. And this event wasn't. I agree. So, I mean, I think what I would say is that, you know, the Investor Day event we went to a couple of years ago was really kind of at the beginning of the C-band rollout. And I think there was a lot of really interesting things happening from a network perspective. And kind of the general attitude, I think, industry-wide around 5G was a little different than it is now. Having said that, I did think that this particular event was considerably lighter in terms of details, in terms of kind of the path forward, right? So it was more about optimize and tune and, hey, we've got new price plans and they look like they're working. But I didn't see a really clear articulation about how Verizon in 2024 is different from Verizon in 2023, which I think is notable because I think they made some really big changes. I mean, one of the things that Hans went through in the very beginning was literally listing all the people that were in new positions over the last 12 months. And they were leaving, right? It was almost everybody, yeah. So there is a different team. And I know you like to say that people make decisions, not facts and figures, right? So one would think that with a new team, there'd be new decisions and some things to talk about with respect to that. But I didn't broadly get that. Yeah. And nobody forces you to do an analyst event, right? Mm -hmm. A sell-side analyst event. The timing is completely your choosing. And I would plan it for the right time to have the right impact to have a lot of impact. Yes, here's the new team, and here's how we're doing it differently, and here's the progress that we are already seeing, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, here's the new team, and and then it was light, right? It was very light. But yeah, it's, it's a management team that's changing, right? Mm-hmm. The news was like Rima Qureshi is leaving, there's a new CMO, but she didn't speak. No, she yeah, she's a strategy chief. No, Rima's a strategy chief, but there's a new CMO at Verizon as well. There's a new CMO replacing Diego Scotti, right? Mm-hmm. Jim Jarres, who I love dearly, who I know for 20-something years, uh, who came up with a Verizon credo, which is one of the crispest articulations of defining corporate culture and what is important. You know, he is leaving at Chan, left already, right? So there's a lot of change going on and new people make new decisions. They had the transition to a regional structure, which is huge, right? I thought the big strength of the Horizon 1.0 under Denny Striegel, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, was that regional structure. Lowell McAdam took it away and centralized everything with a huge amount of brain drain, right? 
and now they're back to a, a regional structure. I would have played this up a lot more because the regional decision-making is so critical. You know, they went back to that. It was very interesting. I don't know if you caught that, but like Joe Russo said, like, and I have to go back to it, but I seem to hear he said, like, you know, I have 3,000 engineers in 18 markets that are doing this. And I went back to my notes from like quite some time ago, and I had somewhere like frontline engineers, more like 8,000. Well, I think across wireless, right, there's a story in Light Reading about this recently. All of the wireless carriers are shedding people. Oh, and they will continue to do so. The whole virtualization, optimization, I don't even think they're halfway done. I think there are tens of thousands of network jobs, especially on like the on the core side, are still to go. We've barely scratched the beginning of this, right? And then we'll see what happens with stores, right? You know, the carriers will take a step back universally and say, like, is it worth having having my stores? Is there a gap? You know, when you listen to Denny, what he talked about, he thought it was, in his time, it was absolutely critical to have their own stores because it gives you so much power and control. Now, if you're bad at stores, it doesn't matter if you outsource it, right? So it might be a, a function then with stores of the carriers losing core competency in being excellent retailers or the third-party guys becoming better or both, right? But who knows? That's right now the biggest job center is then retail. I think the store thing is really interesting. I mean, I've been doing some some research recently looking at kind of what drives satisfaction across different types of wireless and broadband industries, right? And one of the things that we see is that for prepaid, in particular, a lot of prepaid providers, you don't actually need a store. Some of the highest satisfaction scores you see out there for companies like Mint, they have some presence in terms of, you know, you can buy up top-up cards at the grocery store or whatever, but effectively they have a completely different retail model than the national operators. The stores really kind of, for the national operators, fill a lot of different roles, right? Like it's, it's the only place you can go where if you have any problem with your carrier, you have a good chance of getting resolved. If your device is broken, they can get you a new one. If you have a question about your bill, they can probably help you figure it out. If you need help with somebody showing you how to do something, they can do that at the store. You can get a new plan, right? So it's a one-stop shop. But as you point out, it's incredibly expensive, right? And for years and years and years, all the carriers have been trying to kind of minimize their exposure to the cost of operating this huge retail network. We're far off of talking just about Verizon here, but just kind of industry writ large. Prepaid providers don't really need stores anymore. The postpaid providers, you know, all kind of, I think, still need them to some extent. But I would say Cricket and Metro, for them, it's a point of differentiation and it's a point of appreciation by customers that they can go there. The smaller brands, they don't have $2 million per store. That's what it costs to build a store is $2 million, right? It's insane. A thousand stores is $2 billion. None of these brands have that. So they have to turn a weakness into a strength. Or they're really smart, like Peter Adderton with MobileX, and they partner with Walmart, right? Oh, don't need the stores too, but not everybody is getting placement from, from Walmart. Because real estate footprint 
is expensive. You can see how successful somebody is by how many inches of real estate space they give on the shelf to that brand. And if that brand doesn't deliver, it gets less until it gets zero. I mean, I mean counterpoint to the stores are expensive, right? The most valuable retail square footage in the world, more valuable than Tiffany's, right, is an Apple store. Yes. What does the Apple store sell? Well, they sell lots of things, right? They sell computers, but primarily they sell phones, right? And so the idea that you can't generate revenue or profit or customer satisfaction or anything else, right? These are all things that Apple does incredibly well. And they do it in part by operating a store network where you go in, you play with the phone and get help and yeah. actually, frankly, do a lot of the same things you would do at a carrier store. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big trends that we've seen with the carrier stores, T-Mobile's done it, Verizon has done it, AT&T has done it to the extent that all these store redesigns they do, they all look like Apple stores. Right. Yeah. And then, they took their uh, horn, they say, we've got a new concept. And then you, they show you the new concept. And it's like, wow, it's a bunch of, you know, white wood tables with devices laid out. And it looks, if I close my eyes and squint a little bit, it looks like an Apple store. Yeah. You know, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. But coming back to the Verizon event, what was interesting was that they talked about ACP and that they have about 1.2 million prepaid customers on it. And that, yes, it will make revenue impact, but it will have very small profit impact. I thought that was very interesting. Right. I mean, that's effectively what almost everybody has said about ACP, right? Is that the margin, there's a subscriber impact, but the margin impact is almost nothing given the price point, right? Yeah. But it was nice to hear that again. And you know, talked about FWA. We know FWA is a winner. Then they can dial it up or down, depending on how much they charge, right? They still had the same numbers as we saw in the earnings call, even though with more money. More money is better than less money, right? You know, and Hans went through a mea culpa around private networking and edge computing. and But we knew that. They leaned too far, too early out of the window. and I still think it's coming, right? And I think they still think it's coming. But to your point, it's too early. And I... Every time I go to one of these events where they're talking about private networks, invariably slicing comes up, right? And I think the question in my mind is if I can provision a public network such that I have my own slice and SLAs and everything else built around it, absent, you know, kind of specialized needs in terms of propagation, slicing seems better than building a whole another separate implementation. It's just my own private little network. My question is, and I, you know, I get the sense that there are other folks that think this as well, or that also asking this question is, to what extent does the emergence of standalone and slicing and all that sort of thing cannibalize some of the private networking success that's happening? Well, you know my joke. There are more analyst reports written about private networks than there are private networks. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. yeah, we spend more hours on that than there are networks. So there's nothing to cannibalize, right? And the longer this takes, the stronger slicing will become. And it's a lot much more scalable solution. Now that we've seen Verizon's sell-side analyst event, I'm looking forward to AT&T's and T-Mobile's because inevitably sometime this year, I think they will do this. And hopefully in conjunction with with something more more meaty. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I think 
T-Mobile's definitely due for one of these. I know they have kind of like their five-year planning cycle they're getting near the end of. And particularly as they, you know, everybody's kind of finishing up their 5G build-outs, which by necessity changes kind of the the shape of the balance sheet and, you know, CapEx spend and things of that nature. So I think it makes sense to revisit what that looks like. I mean, it's likely everybody's going to be furiously paying down debt. And in the case of T-Mobile potentially shifting to a dividend, we'll see. It should be interesting. It should be interesting to see what other folks have to say. Well, let's have another session then on, on whenever they do theirs. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Roger. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye.